This is the Best Friends Podcast, dedicated to sharing the people and programs that are ending the killing of cats and dogs in America's animal shelters. You'll hear from animal welfare leaders from across the movement who will share the innovative and collaborative work that are creating life-saving successes in communities of all sizes. It is May 13th, and this week on the Best Friends Podcast, we're talking about rural America. My name is John Dunn, and the challenges facing rural communities across the country are very real. You know, if you're in an area with things like available veterinary resources, consider yourself very lucky. You know, it's certainly not a rural-only issue, but for them, it's just more complicated. You know, you're looking at drives of an hour or more to, you know, the nearest spay-neuter clinic. That's not uncommon. A lot of the areas have little to no services of any kind, even those for humans. In rural communities across the country, there are efforts to give pet owners what they need, keeping people and pets together, collaborating to save lives. We talked about one model that is on display in Oklahoma with the Oklahoma Humane Society. That was episode 51. Would love for you to check that out. Bestfriends.org slash podcast. Again, episode 51. Today, we're going to look at one rural community, a very successful organization in a county with a population of 15,000 people. It's in rural Indiana. To help get you oriented here, it's about an hour south of Indianapolis, two hours to the west of Cincinnati, and about 90 minutes north of Louisville. I came here and they had it all figured out. (laughs) That's Katie Friedersdorf. She's the shelter manager at the Brown County Humane Society. She started there about four years ago. By the time I started, save rate's already 97%. So it's really a lot of people before me that really busted their hind ends and got us to where we are. So when I stepped in, it's like, okay, well, let's just continue our save rate and see how we can help other places. As Katie says, the Brown County Humane Society has been a leader in terms of rural community success for a long time now, achieving no kill by reaching the 90% save rate benchmark in 2008, long before some people believe no kill was possible anywhere, let alone in a community like Brown County. The last few years, they've been able to increase that annual save rate into the upper 90s. In 2019, it was 98.3%, 98.3, and that was with an intake of 700 animals. So let's put that in perspective. That 700 intake is significantly higher than other comparable communities. Similar communities, size, demographics, on average, are taking in half of that. So what can we learn from them, programs, approaches to life-saving? How are they meeting the needs of pet owners in Brown County? What makes them so successful? Well, Katie, let's start with Brown County. Tell me more about your community. It is a, um, a small population. It's, you know, primarily wooded, mountainous, a lot of travelers, you know, people visiting, camping, that kind of thing. Pretty spread out, pretty rural. Uh, we have a community outreach program where we'll provide food to people. And we had to have a van that had four-wheel drive because... So many of these houses, I mean, it's just a muddy driveway that's two miles long to get to the house. And, you know, it's mixed. We have a lot of locals lived here forever. Then we have a lot of people that bought retirement homes here that have like multi-million dollar retirement homes in the mountains. So it's it's an interesting demographic here, really. Well, give me the rundown on how your setup, Brown County, you have the contract for sheltering operations, right? Uh, are you providing animal control services also? Yes. Yeah, so we are a private nonprofit. 
but we do have a contract with the county. So we don't have the animal control officers that go out. That is through the sheriff's department. But any animals that they pick up come here to the shelter. We're contracted to take all the local strays and bite quarantine court cases, all of that we're required to take. But we've been over 97% for the last handful of years. Katie, what got Brown County to where you are now? I mean, you're not always a high-performing community that doesn't start on day one. So when did things start to change? And and are there things that, you know, you and others in the organization kind of look back on and can say, you know what, that thing, that program, that really was a crucial moment for us. You know, there were, there are a couple kind of things that stick out, you know, in the mid to late 2000, like mid 2000, we had maybe 70% save rate. The year before that, it was 40%. So there was a period where it was like, okay, we have to figure it out. We have to make some changes. We have to do something different to start saving more lives. So around that time, the animals were starting to be spayed and neutered before they were adopted. We started like a medical fund to where we could treat some of these, you know, uh, fairly simple medical cases as opposed to having to euthanize them. The biggest change that I think led us to where we are now, the biggest sustainable program was our SPOT program. It stands for Serving Pets Outreach Team. So that's that's where we provide, you know, low-cost spay and neuter to the public, food assistance to the public. We do low-cost vaccine clinics every year. That's really where I think the trend started and where our intake numbers really started to decrease. I think we probably, if I had to guesstimate, our intake is about half now than what it was 10 years ago before the, you know, when the spot program started. Uh, that's really been able to help us do more things, have more programs, help other shelters. It basically was a group of people that were so dedicated to spay and neuter. They knew that's what we had to do. The program was completely volunteer run, offering specials. There was there was a point in the spot program, which is kind of a funny story, that we were paying people to bring their animals to get fixed. You know, we would do specials. You pay $5, you get your dog neutered. But at one point, we were offering people like $5 gas card. We'll give you a $5 gas card. You don't have to pay anything. You just bring your animal here (laughs) and we'll get it fixed. So it just took a lot of really dedicated people. You know, I think that's the biggest impact that has had on our our whole organization. What about the challenges you have? You know, as we try to help people understand more about your community, about Brown County, what are the struggles? Is it finding adoptive homes, foster homes, money, volunteers? Uh, Do you have enough veterinary services? Yeah, so we... We have a, a, a pretty good stack of volunteers that help us do a lot of things that you know, we wouldn't be able to do without them. I think we, I like to think we do a pretty good job at finding adoptive homes. We, not really locally, most of our adopters come from, you know, online, Pet Finder, Facebook, those kinds of things. So without our volunteers taking these phenomenal photos and getting them posted, But I do feel like, you know, we have a pretty good face with the public and finding adoptions. Like a lot of places, I think, are in a similar situation to us is that we are still struggling with the behavior placements. We don't have a behaviorist on staff. Uh, A lot of us have dogs, have worked with dogs, but none of us are really trainers. So um, managing the the difficult behaviors, the fearful dogs, finding placements for them, that continues to be a top uh, 
top topic, a top discussion. How do we start to help that population of animals? Um, and of course, we still are just, you know, feet on the pavement every day, getting people's animals fixed, trying to help people keep their animals in their homes. So that's still a very, very big focus. Uh, that way we don't slide backwards to where we were before. Well, one thing that caught my attention there was uh, you saying that your adopters are from outside the community. I actually think you said most adopters. Mm -hmm. So when you say that, is that the county next to yours? Is it Indianapolis? Is it Chicago? Yeah, it's a lot of surrounding counties, um, you know, counties adjoining ours. There, I mean, we have some that come from states away. We post a full-blooded this or that, or puppies, you know, people call from states away to adopt puppies, but the majority of it is, you know, within a 45 minute or an hour drive of our shelter, that kind of radius, but the majority of our adoptions are done outside of the community, outside of our county. Well, you're obviously doing something right there, uh, you know, communicating out, letting people know who you are, what you've got, how they can help, right? So, uh, you know, what what are you doing to communicate that out? How are they even finding you in the first place? Well, it's interesting. and it, I kind of tread lightly when I talk about things like this because, you know, all shelters, all communities have their own challenges. To me, the biggest thing was just contacting people back. The majority of the people we get from other communities that's, that live in a, a surrounding county, they say, well, I... I tried to contact my local um, shelter and I hadn't heard anything back or maybe they don't really have a, a foster program set up or something like, you know, there's some, they have tried with their local and maybe they didn't have animals for them to foster right away. We find that a lot. If you don't find them a foster animal, when they're gung-ho, they apply, they're ready. If you don't have one for them, they'll find another local place that does. So getting them engaged quickly, I feel like, and just the fact that we call people back within 24 hours of receiving an application, whether it's an adoption application or a foster application, just contacting them and getting that first contact made quickly because they will find somewhere else to go if you don't. So, you know, there's some that have just said, I tried there, but uh, never heard anything back. So uh, we much as I hate to do it, we end up scooping them up. And of course, we keep them around because we we treat them well, and uh, you know they're obviously super appreciated within the organization. So they they feel like they're supported, and they continue to come back. I know what you mean when you say tread lightly, and I get it. Uh, but I do think it's worth uh, reiterating the point that you were there, right? They wanted to help. They wanted to foster. They wanted to adopt. They tried, but others dropped the ball right? And you were there to take them up on the offer. So I don't think there's anything wrong with it, in my opinion. Uh, and, you know, listen, that that experience of people not picking up the phone when people want to help, that has the potential of turning these folks away, in some cases, for good. So it's actually, when you think about it, a great lesson about, you know, not missing opportunities. <laughs> well, you know, it, like I said, everybody has their own um, challenges. And I know a lot of places we're hearing even with adopters and I think partially with the pandemic, so many people have been flocking to adopt. You know, we've heard about that a lot. Like so many shelters didn't have any dogs because they got scooped up so fast. So 
we've heard even from adopters, oh, I've tried to call, but I don't hear anything back on these animals or the animals get adopted right away or they're doing appointments only and it's really hard to get an appointment. So there are, you know, and again, everybody has their own challenges, whether it's reduced staff or maybe they just have so many phone calls they can't. We had a a point like that during the pandemic. We had 40 adoption applications and like 10 dogs. (laughs) So, you know, you get kind of a backlog and it's hard to. So I try to consider everybody's situation and um, everybody's different. You know, there were volunteers coming out of the woodwork. So like a lot of a couple counties around us, we had more volunteers than we knew what to do with. So they were kind of put on a wait list for a while. So it is tricky. It is, you know, we don't want to we don't know everybody's situation. We just try to, you know, call people and do what we can when we can and hope for the best. Well, since we're talking about it, what are some of the relationships you have uh, with other communities and organizations? We we have really, really fabulous relationships with those around us. So really any given time, the counties that directly adjoin us, uh, we're pretty up to speed on what's happening there, what their situation is. You know, I know there's, there's a county near us that has a huge population. This will probably give it away, but it's a college town. They have a ton of people flocking to help. And again, it's one of those situations you have more people offering to help than what you can accommodate. So then we kind of get the overflow, but Um, And we have some fosters that foster for us and they foster for the neighboring county. You know, it's one of those things, again, if you don't have the animals when they want them or when they're available for them, they might find them elsewhere. So we know that there are some fosters that foster for a a couple different groups in the area. But thankfully, all of the communities that are butted up to ours are on a similar track. You know, they're their save rates are increasing, they're starting to work, they're just doing more and more. So a lot of the ones right around us are on a similar track and, and you know, doing pretty well. So cats, nationally, cats dying in shelters, a two to one rate versus dogs. So two cats killed for every dog. So how are you handling cats? Tell me all about cat life saving in Brown County. Yeah, so I think part of it is not bringing them into the shelter to begin with. Um, you know, our spot program does a little of that outreach, TNR, let's see how we can help these people. They've been feeding these cats forever anyway, right? So let's just help them get them fixed. Our spot program will go out and TNR them. They don't have to come into the shelter at all. So that's one of the biggest parts of it is trying to avoid as many of them coming into the shelter as possible. But the few that do, obviously, we have to move quickly on finding placement for them. One of the benefits we have is we are rural. There's a lot of people that have acres on acres, and they're happy to have a barn cat. So we do, we've reduced the number of barn cats candidates coming in, uh, and therefore we're able to get the few tricklers out pretty quickly. And, you know, we keep contact information from people who have taken barn cats before. <laughs> so, you know, you got one barn cat, what's one more? So, and there, there has been a situation recently where I know somebody's looking for a barn cat. We don't have any currently, you know, we may get two or three at a time and then we'll go a couple weeks without having any. So if that's a situation, you know, I know our neighbor County, has barn cats coming out of their ears. 
So if somebody calls us looking for a barn cat and I don't have anybody to give them, I'm happy to say, hey, you know what? I know this shelter has it, or I'll take down their information and I'll call that shelter director and say, hey, this person's looking for a couple barn cats if you want to reach out. You know, I could just keep hoard their phone number in case we get one in a month and just call them ourselves. But I know if they have 20 barn cats they need help with, I'm happy to pass along their information so they can get them out. I really think just, you know, we just have to work with our neighbors if we have something they need or vice versa. Reach out and do it. But you will partner with others to find placement for cats, right? If they're unable to do TNR, say a, an ordinance prevents them from performing the service. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, we're always open to trying to help those around us. I think the hardest part in a lot of the places is getting approval. Again, avoiding these animals coming in is really the best start. So, but it's so hard to go through the legislation to, to start a TNR program. You know, the cats are healthy. They're care. They're obviously eating somewhere. Why can't we just TNR them, put them back into the community where they're thriving? You know, there are still shelters out there that unfortunately have to euthanize feral cats. They aren't allowed to place them back into the community because of the local regulations. They can't stay in the shelter forever because that's inhumane. So it's, just, it's a sticky situation. I think TNR is the best way to avoid it altogether. But, um, you know, there are certain situations that you just can't. <laughs> and in those cases, I, we, we're happy to reach out. We do work with a lot of shelters, you know, in our immediate area. We're actually now starting to go out a little farther, you know, not necessarily adjoining counties. But again, during COVID, intake was a little bit different. You know, if we have space in two counties over, they're, you know, at risk of euthanizing cats. You know, we try to help as much as we can there. So we definitely try to communicate with those around us and network as much as possible to see how we can help each other. Veterinary services, uh, really an issue everywhere. It doesn't matter, urban, rural. I do think the problem is magnified in rural communities. Obviously, the lack of vets but, you know, even when you do find uh, a clinic, spay-neuter clinic that is available to help you, like you have to transport, you know, an hour and a half or something. So what is this like for you? Do you have a clinic uh, at the shelter? Do you offer services to the public? We actually don't. We don't offer veterinary services to the public here. We do have a medical assistant on staff that does our vaccinations, microchipping for our shelter animals. So what about the services for the public now? I mean, who's helping you do the 500 plus surgeries uh, a year you're doing? Yes. Yeah, so we ha we are actually very lucky to have a couple low cost clinics. Those are those are actually both um, like high volume, low cost, nonprofit spay neuter clinics. We've had a relationship with them for quite a while. The one that's further away actually came about out of necessity again, because in COVID, this one we usually use had shut down. So the one that we reached out to that was a little farther, they actually transport the animals to their clinic. So it was quite an ask to say, hey, we're like an hour and a half away from you, but are you willing to come this far? Do you have the capacity to come this far to pick them up? And thankfully, you know, they were able to do that. And I know that particular uh, clinic picked up a couple counties around us that they were willing to make these transports. And we just try to cultivate those relationships as much as we can. Um, because without them, I mean, we would be in a similar situation to a lot of places where you just can't find it. 
So now we have these two wonderful high volume spay neuter partners. Um, I feel kind of bad about bragging about that, but it is, I mean, you have to create the relationship. You have to cultivate the relationship just like anything else. You know, if they have a really tough week, we send cookies over or something, you know, just to keep that relationship going. So we are really able to get what we need when we need it. I do think you should brag about that. I mean, this isn't like a billionaire moved to Brown County and built this massive veterinary operation next door. Again, these basics of relationships. You faced an issue, COVID ends your access to, to one clinic, even if just in the short term, but you're picking up the phone. And, you know, finding another, even though it's 90 minutes away, I think you should be really proud of that resourcefulness. Right. And, you know, it takes, we have, um, the president of our board, I like to say that she's a tornado. She's just unstoppable, you know, and it takes somebody that is willing to ask, um, also willing to put their blood, sweat and tears and time into it to make those relationships, you know, you do, you got to stick your neck out. You have to ask what's the worst they're going to say is no. And you just have to have somebody willing to commit to do that. It really is about taking the opportunities when they're in front of you, but the, the way you are so active on seeking help, you know, whatever the need you have is. It really isn't luck. You know, it, the spot program, the low cost spay neuter program is run 100% by volunteers. You know, again, relationships that you have to cultivate and keep on your side. They're the ones meeting the 50 community members, getting their animals loaded into crates, loading them into the van. Sometimes our volunteers are even driving them in our van, but uh, it is, it is a lot of hard work and moving quickly, you know, when our spay neuter clinic that we use shut down, you know, there wasn't a couple weeks of sitting around waiting to see what was going to happen. I mean, we had people on the horn at <laughs> six, seven, eight o'clock that night calling local other spay neuter clinics around us, trying to get that relationship going right away. You know, if you stop spaying and neutering for a couple weeks, you're behind. <laughs> so, I mean, it took an immediate reaction in that case to get this other partnership rolling. One element of this, I think, is how those of us in, you know, more urban communities, how can we help our rural neighbors, right? We've got the capacity where we want to reach out and help. Knowing that every community is unique, what advice can you offer to people from those urban communities that are looking to offer that help? Yeah, you know, that's a tricky one because that's something that we're looking at now too. How can we help our neighbors? We're we're doing okay. How can we how can we reach out to those around us that need the help the most? You know, places that are still euthanizing for space. And um, of course, particularly with cats, that seems to be a lot bigger of an issue in our area. But I found the hardest thing for us as one that wants to help these other rural communities is finding those that need the help. They're not necessarily the ones that have time to be on Facebook and uh, reaching out for help that way. So Best Friends was a great resource to find those rural communities that need help, first of all. You know, we kind of partnered through Best Friends with another shelter that's about an hour and a half, I would say, from us, you know, that's still struggling with the cat population. And, you know, we were able to reach out to them during, you know, before kitten season hit, we had some some space we could help them out and 
you know, within a couple transports, we, we, we don't have a huge capacity. We're not taking a hundred cats at a time, but you know, we're taking five or 10 or eight here and there whenever we can. And now when I reach out to them, this has just been a few months in the makings, you know, we haven't been helping them for years and years, but now when I reach out to them, the, the conversation is very different. It's like, you know what, our adoption floor is under control right now, you know? Um, so they don't have just a, a slew of cats that they need help with. And that's just a matter of a few months and us taking just a handful of animals to kind of get them out, out from the rut. So, uh, you know, it takes a little effort to find those places that need the help the most, but you know, they're so grateful for the help when they get it. And I know we're relieving a burden off of them that they've had for a long time. So it's, it's super rewarding. We've got more information about Brown County, their programs, what helped them be so successful, bestfriends.org slash podcast, bestfriends.org slash podcast. The producers are Tawny Hammond, Amy Charlton, Bethany Hines, and Mark Peralta. My name is John Dunn, and thank you for listening to the Best Friends Podcast.